Today is the third Sunday of Easter, and it is about Jesus revealing himself as the resurrected Messiah, the Christ. In our Acts reading this morning, we find the story of Paul's conversion. And the story comes as a sudden and surprising invasion of God's presence and power to a person who was persecuting Christ followers, the church. This persecutor and murderer is the man in whom God said in verse 15, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. So this is a story about a man who God used in a mighty way. However, it is also a story about what God can do with the person that we often think is beyond God's help. Is there someone that we think is beyond grace? Someone that we have potentially given up on? How does this story change our view and our words of that person? And how will it change our prayers? So in the previous chapter of our gospel reading this morning, we find the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, and Jesus appearing before Mary Magdalene, the disciples, and then to Thomas, as we talked about last week. And we begin John 21 and find that the disciples have gone fishing. And after all that had happened, why do you think they did that? Maybe they wanted to get on with life. Maybe they wanted to do the next thing. Maybe they wanted to do something that was familiar as this is the world that they knew. It would feel strange going back to it, but they had families who needed to be looked after. Maybe they were going to settle down and do something sensible like earn some money, like catching some fish. But it didn't work out that way. They knew the sea, which means that they knew where that the fish had gathered, and they worked all night, and they caught nothing. But just as dawn was breaking, and they were tired and ready for food and rest, at that very moment, Jesus came again. Like Mary in the garden, they didn't know it was him. So Jesus told them to throw the net on the right side of the boat. When they did, they could not pull the net back into the boat because of the large number of fish. So we have to have eyes to see, and it is notable that only one of the disciples recognized Jesus that was on the shore. And all of them see the Lord, but only one of them in verse 7 the beloved disciple who reclined at Jesus' breast at the Last Supper recognized that it was the Lord. Could it be that reclining with Jesus, spending tender time with the Lord in prayer, resting our mind at His heart and breast, marinating in the presence of Jesus are the key to recognizing God in our daily lives and ordinary routines? Peter, who longed to see Jesus again and clearly had unfinished business with him, once he found out that it was Jesus, wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water, once again doing the impulsive thing, this time leaving the others to do the hard work. Jesus, after all, has given his followers a remarkable commission in chapter 20. It says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And as we talked about last week, they are to be filled with God's breath, His holy presence, the Holy Spirit, and His power to be sent into the world as Jesus had been. 
But if they try to do it on their own, they are going to fall. They will work hard and have no fruit. And the only way is for them to admit defeat, acknowledge honestly and humbly their problem, and then listen afresh to Jesus' voice and to do what he says. Apart from him and the Holy Spirit's power, we can do nothing. What projects have we been laboring over and getting nowhere? Watch for the dawn. Watch for the figure on the shore. Be honest about where we are and what the problem is. Listen to his voice and do what he tells you to do. I know a little about mental illness and the therapy that can produce health. However, I know a little more about the healing of memories and forgiveness that can go back to to deal with buried hurt and fear and failure or sin and to deal with it. I've, I've had the privilege of working pastorally with people and watching as deep unhealed wounds are gently exposed and dealt with in love and prayer and enabled to at last find healing. And by the way, I have been in this position personally many times myself. In chapter 13, Peter insists loudly and emphatically that he will remain loyal to Jesus. He's not going to let him down. He wants to follow him where he goes, to prison, to death, wherever that might be. In fact, he is prepared to lay down his own life for Jesus. Then in chapter 18, we watch helplessly as Peter tries and fails. He follows, but when he gets there, it all goes terribly wrong. And instead of making it right, he gets it wrong again and again. Three times he denies that he's one of Jesus' followers. And of course, we know the story and the rooster crows. And it all happens beside a charcoal fire. Think of Peter leaving in shame and angry at himself and knowing that Jesus knew And then hearing the next day what had happened to Jesus. Peter has this horrible memory and he needed to revisit it and bathe in God's own healing presence. What was Jesus doing on the seashore? Barbecuing on a charcoal fire. So yet again, we have a charcoal fire with Peter. They caught a massive net full, 153 in all, and then there comes an interesting little exchange. Jesus is already cooking fish and bread on his charcoal fire. He doesn't need their catch. He is well capable of looking after himself. John, describing the scene, isn't wasting words here. He isn't filling in time. He, John never gives unconnected stories. He is telling us something, something about working under Jesus' direction, something about our relationship and the relationship of our work to His. So how dreadfully easy it is for Christians to get the impression that we've got to do it all for God. God, we imagine, is waiting passively for us to get on with things as if it is all up to us. And if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. We have all heard we, he has no hands but our hands. Now, in one sense, this is a load of rubbish. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The problem with that language is that it is us-focused. This is the work of a functional atheist. If we think it is all up to us, we are acting like a functional atheist. Whose hands made made the sun rise this morning? Whose breath guided us to think and to pray and to love and to hope? 
Who is the Lord of the world anyway? Whose power raised Jesus from the dead? God is the one who is at work. He is at work. Before we are even brought into the situation, He is the one that's drawing people to Himself. He is the one who fills us with His presence, His Holy Spirit. He empowers us for the life of mission, and we listen to Him. We are to see where He is at work, and then we are to join Him. So Jesus welcomes Peter's catch. He asks him to bring some of it, but He doesn't, in that sense, need it. Of course, we are to work hard and to organize. Of course, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Of course, there is no excuse for laziness and sloppiness and half-heartedness in the kingdom of God. And of course, we know what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and how, they, um, how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? If it is God's work, we must do it with all of our might. Yes, we are His representatives. We are His ambassadors. We are called to be salt and light. But let's have no nonsense about it all being up to us, about poor old Jesus being unable to lift a finger unless we lift it for Him. In fact, we are much more likely to work more effectively once we get rid of that paranoia-inducing, manipulative, guilt-shame-based notion. The work we are involved in happens under Jesus as the head of His body. He is the King of His kingdom. He is the one at work, and we are to join Him in what He is already doing. And that is so important that we understand that. And this comes through a relationship with Him. He is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. His sheep hear His voice, and we will talk more about that next week. But once again, the resurrected Jesus surprised them, just like He surprised Mary Magdalene, the disciples in the locked doors of the upper room. He surprises them once again. God help us if we ever think that our normal, everyday world is the sum total of all that there is. What a dull, flat, boring, and narcissistic idea. We must always be ready to be surprised by God. So the disciples were surprised by the huge catch. They were surprised by Jesus himself. And if it has been a while since we have been surprised by Jesus, then ask him to reveal himself to you again. I suspect he is already powerfully at work, but we must learn to see what he is doing to Open our eyes and watch and see to be wide awake. The question this morning is, are we awake? Are we awake? Now, we find ourselves in the scene between Jesus and Peter. And as I said before, Peter had unfinished business with Jesus and he jumped out of the boat to get to shore. Do we have unfinished business with Jesus? What step of faith are we going to take to get to him? Are we willing to risk and to jump, to run, or even to crawl? Are we willing to address this unfinished business with Jesus who loves and welcomes us into his arms? The most remarkable thing about it is that by way of forgiveness, Jesus gives Peter a job to do. And when Peter professes his love, Jesus doesn't say, oh, that's all right. He says, well then, feed my lambs. Look after my sheep. Feed my sheep. The three questions correspond to Peter's three denials. Three for completeness, 
yes. But three, also for reminders. The smell of the charcoal fire lingers. Peter must have remembered that same smell not too many days ago. And now he smells. And he remembers the denials. But this time, there is redemption. Jesus is in the redeeming and reconciling business. Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Peter's sin included. Your sin. My sin. For many of us this morning, we may still be dealing with old memories and imaginations and old failings and deep-rooted sores and wounds. Like a computer with faulty and virus-filled software on the hard disk, we need to have it dealt with before we can operate to maximum efficiency once more. We need to have it dealt with so that we can be free from chains and and bondage of guilt and shame, or anger and bitterness, or unforgiveness towards self and even others. So Jesus goes straight to the heart of it all. Peter, do you love me? And Peter replies, of course you know that I love you. And each time, Jesus does not pat Peter on the back, as I've already said, and say, that's all right. But instead, Jesus commands something. Jesus gives Peter a fresh challenge, a a new commission. Time to learn how to be a shepherd. Time to feed lambs and sheep to look after them. Not only is this a fresh commission, not only is Jesus trusting Peter to get back to fruitful work, it is more. Jesus is sharing his own work, his own ministry with Peter. It is, after all, Jesus who is the good shepherd. It is Jesus who has the task of feeding and and leading his sheep and lambs, guiding them to and from pasture, keeping them safe from predators. He knows them and they know him. So Jesus has given his life for them and given the commission in John 20, 21, as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. There's no getting away from it. And this is what it means. Peter is to share Jesus' task of shepherding. Here's the secret, or if you could say it a different way, here's the core of all Christian ministry, your ministry, my ministry, lay and ordained. It's the secret of everything from being a quiet back row member of a prayer group to being a person who speaks to large crowds. There's all kinds of ways I could say this. All of us. If we're going to do any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus, this is what it's built on. Somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus. And though we've let him down enough times, he's there for us to renew that love, to give us a chance to express it again, to heal the hurts and failures of the past and give us new work to do to love and care and feed the sheep. We are not all called into holy orders to be priests of the church. Thank God for that, right? But we're all called as sheep to love sheep. We are all called to the priesthood of all believers. That's our fundamental calling. Did you know that sheep bite? Well, you're laughing. I guess you've had some experience with being bit or you have done some biting yourself. I'm not sure. Probably a little bit of both, right? They bite each other and they bite bite shepherds. 
And even though she bite and it hurts, we forgive and we move forward loving and feeding sheep because that is what Jesus does and what he has clearly called each one of us to do as well. These are not things we do to earn love and forgiveness. Nothing could ever do that. It is grace from start to finish. There are things we do out of pure joy and obedience because we have already been loved and forgiven. Things that will be costly because Jesus' own work was utterly costly. But nonetheless, we joyfully obey and we are faithful. Peter still made mistakes from time to time, as the book of Acts indicates, but he became a shepherd. He, act, he loved Jesus and looked after his sheep. No one could ask for more. Jesus never asks for less. My dear friends, Jesus said to Peter, and he says to each one of us, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. We can all love, and Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are not all, nor are we supposed to be, street preachers and church planters. We all have different personalities and giftings, but no matter what, we can all listen and love well. All and people can see the life that we live And this opens them up to the gospel. You know, uh, some people say that we have to earn the right to be heard today. And I think that there's uh, some truth to that. That by the way that we live, the way that we love, then it opens up the right to be able to be heard and to speak. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Now I want to read that one more time. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. How is that working? The disciples make a big splash and breakfast with the risen Jesus in the gospel this morning. Wading in the water, remembering our baptism, and eating with Jesus, celebrating Holy Communion, are part of our weekly encounter with the risen Christ. Jesus asks us with Peter again and again, do you love me? And Jesus invites us again and again to follow him in bringing the risen life, the Easter life, to others. Love, serve, and feed my sheep. Amen.